Ecclesiastes chapter 9, starting from verse 13. Also this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege work, siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom, and no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise man heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. One sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink, so a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. If the ruler's temper rises against you. Do not abandon your position, because composure allays great offense. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, like an error which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set in many exalted places, while rich men sit in, in humble places. I have seen slaves riding on horses, and princes walking like slaves on the land. It doesn't take much effort just to see that as we go around our society, it feels as though that we're surrounded by fools. Whether it is foolish people electing foolish politicians to enact foolish policies on us, we can't help but feel the effects of the fools. Maybe not in the political realm, maybe even your own work. You notice that the people that are watching over you or your co-workers or the people that are under your authority have moments in which they act completely foolish. Maybe even your family and neighbors, you observe their life and you can't help conclude that we are all surrounded by fool. That in this world, this place is full of fools. I think Solomon is trying to encapsulate that, that idea here in the text this morning. Ecclesiastes is a book that Solomon has written to really to give us a report of the, of the findings he's had in life. Solomon spent his whole life wasting away because of pleasure. He wanted to try to live life without God. And Ecclesiastes, in a lot of ways, is, is a document, is a sermon about the things that he's found. He's found and he concluded that without God, life is completely meaningless. And for the first seven chapters of Ecclesiastes, he's really philosophical about everything. He, he had all these high concepts that we're trying to wrap our minds around. But beginning in chapter 8, he gets really practical. He starts giving us some practical instructions about the exceptions of life. Yes, there are the ways in which we live that 
should give us a certain kind of outcome. But because we live in a fallen world, some of the things that we expect the most is not going to happen. Whether that means we have rulers above us that should not be there, and we're oppressed by these rulers, what are we supposed to do? And Solomon prescribes to us a solution that is just enjoy the life that you have. Enjoy the simple pleasures in life. If people in high places, if your peers, and if circumstances in your life does not go the way that you want or expected, what you will find is that you can still enjoy life in this fallen world. Chapter 9 talks about how our lives are in the hands of God and we, our life can go in one direction, but in a moment, in a flash, things can be, be completely different. And the only way that we can cope with that is fear the Lord and enjoy the, the life that God has given you. In this particular text, however, Solomon is talking about another type of frustration, something else that, that makes it troubling to live in this world, and that is that this world is filled with foolish people. This world is filled with fools. Solomon, in his entire journey, concluded that life in the fallen world sometimes just does not make sense. And before I continue on, I do like to explain what I mean by a fool. A fool is not someone that is dumb or someone that is mentally handicapped. That's not how the Bible uses the word fool. In fact, in those particular circumstances, the Bible doesn't say that those things are inherently sinful. A fool is someone who is, is someone that is not someone who lacks the ability to understand. Rather, a, a fool is someone that can understand the information, and instead of using their life in a way that seems wise, they are the one who choose to live the way that is foolish. A smart person then can know a lot of things in the world, but can be completely foolish. Or someone that may not be as smart in the world's eyes can be considered incredibly wise. Again, the Bible is not speaking negatively towards those that have some sort of mental disability or someone that is just not intelligent. Rather, the Bible speaks negatively towards those that are foolish, those that live contrary to Scripture. Also, the Bible speaks in another category of individuals called the naive. These people, the Bible seems to be have moments where they are where the where scripture speaks against them, but at other times it seems to speak almost neutral. For example, in Proverbs chapter one, verse four said, and this is about wisdom to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. See, a naive person, he's just someone that is simple minded. He's not someone that's deliberately choosing wrong. He just doesn't know. And through some maturity, through some discipleship, through some un- more understanding of God's word, they will eventually have to make a choice whether a decision will be honoring to the Lord, which is wise or wisdom, or they choose the foolish route, which is going against God's word. A naive person has potential, but a foolish person is someone that doesn't have any potential because he's constantly going back to the same thing. He's going back to foolishness. And, ta- and Solomon is targeting the fool intentionally because the fool knows what the right thing is and chooses to do the wrong thing. Again, this isn't to say that Christians can't make mistakes, but it's foolish if you know something is foolish and you still choose that particular path. 
Again, this has nothing to do with intellectual ability. It has nothing to do with, uh, with how much you know or don't know. But it's really obedience to the Lord. And Solomon explains that in this fallen world, foolish people will frustrate us. So he gives us this crash course of what a foolish person does and what they look like and what foolishness, and he just describes it for us so that when we see foolishness in this world, when we see it happen to us or with other people, that we would not be surprised. Much like how life have a whole bunch of unexpected events that just throws us off, a fool should not throw us off. We should be expected how a fool will respond. There is foolishness that goes on throughout the world and Solomon wants to show us what those things are. So for our outline this morning, Solomon is going to describe to us what a fool looks like so that we will not be frustrated living in this fallen world. Solomon is going to show us what a fool looks like so that we will not be frustrated living in this fallen world. Our first point for us this morning is this, is that foolishness is popular. Foolishness is popular. Look at verse 13. Also this I came to see as wisdom under sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege work against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man. He delivered the city by his wisdom, yet no one remembered that poor man. Solomon is explaining the situation. He just taught, he's, you know, this is really a lot of ways a sermon, and he's, he reflects back about the situation that he's remembered. And some commentators believe that it's, it could be some event that happened in the past in his own life, or maybe he just observed some other nation. Some even say he might have just thought of this situation. But regardless of, place, regardless of wherever you land, he was shocked by this. And this word impressed doesn't mean that he thought it was like a good thing. Like it was like, oh, that's impressive. Rather, he was dumbfounded by the outcome of this. He tells a story of this little city, and it's surrounded by this large army, and it's ruled by this great king, and this little tiny city is going to be destroyed. And that's how they would do warfare. Instead of just intentionally going and engage them, one tactic is that you just surround the city, and then they'll just die out. They'll run out of resources, and then they'll give up. And when you think of a small city, don't think of something like San Francisco. Think of some place that no one thinks about, like Fresno. You know, think about that. Think of some place that, like, in the middle of the desert, a small little city, doesn't have any oil or anything significant, but for some reason, this king decided, we're just going to take this little land. And if you can imagine being in this little city, you see everyone's, you see this army going and surrounding you, and you're thinking, what are we going to do? And in this little tale, there's one little savior, one little wise poor man, and he delivers the people. Solomon speaks of this small city and this large army. I think he does that intentionally to make this contrast to show you just the, the gloom and the desperation that the city is in. And from a military standpoint, there's no way for these people to get out. And Solomon explained that this one wise poor man was able to deliver them. This poor man figured it out, and no one remembers this person. In fact, no one understands even what this person did. And I think Solomon did that intentionally. He tells you that this wise man delivered the city. He doesn't tell you who he is or how he did it. And it's supposed to play with the audience. This will let you know that if you want to know who this person is, you'll never find out. But more importantly, how this person did this, you will not know. 
And it frustrates us as we read this because we want to know. Can you imagine if the Bible actually had an excerpt on how you can survive a siege? That would be very helpful for a time of war. And Solomon deliberately chooses not to tell us to show you that sometimes wisdom, especially when it's not appreciated, it will never get passed down. There is no future generation that can study this. The strategy would have been useful for future generations, but now it is gone along with this wise man. Wisdom vanished with this person, and there's no advancement of wisdom. And we understand what it's like for, uh, to be like this poor wise man, don't we? We don't always look for wisdom in the right places. Wisdom is not always appreciated, and we understand what that means because sometimes in our lives there are people who are asking for counsel. They're struggling, and their life is just hard. They ask you, what are we supposed to do? And you give them sound advice. Like This is just advice that's like fireproof, it's airtight. It is, the, it is the answer to their problem. But yet they ignore it. They don't appreciate wisdom. They may even later realize that you were right. And just understand in the fallen world, wisdom is not appreciated. Folly is popular. And just know in a fallen world, sometimes wisdom is not elevated. What's, what's worse is that oftentimes people prefer foolishness and folly over wisdom. They would elevate dumb people in a sense of foolish, in terms of foolish people and foolish ideas over wisdom. Look at verse 16. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his words are not heeded. Wisdom is better than strength. Well, why is that? Because wisdom can solve problems. And some of you are thinking, so can strength. You know, if you need a refrigerator, you don't need wisdom, you need strength. And that's true, strength can solve problems, but is limited in its application and is also limited in its longevity. Because no matter how many times you can go to the gym, your child is not going to get your gains. You're, no matter how much, many times you go to the gym and run, your friends will not get your rewards. But wisdom can be transferred. Wisdom is transferable. If something was written down or if it's recorded and you tell someone, that, can, that wisdom can spread to other people. Wisdom can, still, can surpass your lifetime and help those around you, even if your physical body decays. The things that you taught other people, the wisdom that you shared, can continue on long after you're gone. And if you were to choose one between wisdom and strength, choose wisdom. Wisdom is not always a popular choice, and wisdom is potentially not popular, especially in a society that is filled with foolishness. Why is it that this poor man was despised? You notice at the end of verse 16, it says that, but the wisdom of the poor man despised, and, and his words are not heeded. It's implied that after the city was delivered by this poor man, he probably gave them some suggestions on what you need to do so that we won't be attacked like that next time, and everyone turned on him. They despised what he, was, what he had to say. Wisdom is not always, is not always found to be desirable. It's not always popular. Look at verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of rulers among fools. Wisdom is not always found in, in the places that we expect. In fact, foolishness is often louder and it's easier to find. 
Why was this poor, wise person overlooked? It's because when they looked at him, they thought, what do you have to offer me? You are a poor person. What do you have to offer me? And it's really, it's in their own pride that they chose not to listen to this poor, wise man. We can all fall in the same, same temptation as, this, as the people in this city. We could think that we can't learn from a particular person because of the way that they look. This person wears a suit. That means he's wise. This person doesn't wear a suit. That means he's not as wise. This person is single. What can he teach me? This person is married. What can he teach me? This person is working. What can they teach me when I'm retired? Or if you're retired, what can this person teach me when I'm working? Or this person is young or this person is old. They'll make excuses not to listen. And a wise person knows to listen for wisdom. In a fallen world, people will look for folly and not for wisdom. And Christian, that should not be for what you and I. We are believers. We follow Jesus Christ. It should be our desire to grow in the faith. And one way that you grow in the faith is that you increase in biblical wisdom. Christians must be humble and learning more about God's word and learning how to apply God's word. And that's how you grow in godliness and doing the things that are pleasing to the Lord. You cannot expect to honor the Lord if you live a foolish life. Only people that live wisely can be pleasing to the Lord. We must always be learners of God's word. We must always want to learn more and grow in our wisdom, particularly in God's wisdom, and not to be a fool. Get to know other saints that can strengthen you, that can cause you to continue to grow and to walk faithfully. Find someone that is older in the faith, and notice I said older in the faith, not just older in age, but older in the faith that you can learn from. In fact, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 16 says, How much better it is to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding is to be chosen above silver. Proverbs 23, verse 23 Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and understanding. Get wisdom, get wisdom and instruction and understanding. So usually after the sermons on Sunday, the other two pastors will have these applicational questions. Uh, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to give you the application now and what you, you should do this week. My challenge for you is that you find someone that's older than the faith and buy wisdom from him. I don't mean just give him money and say, tell me something wise. I mean, take them out for lunch. And when you take them out for lunch, come up with five questions that you want to learn from this person. And, and I have to also preface this, that ask a good question, ask a wise question. Don't ask them, like, oh, what was your kill-death ratio in Call of Duty? Like, that's useless. Don't ask them about their favorite sports team. That's useless. Ask them something that transcended the moment. Ask them about things that, that you want to know, that you want to keep years from now. That's wisdom. That's my challenge for all of you. Find someone and ask them. And also, don't take them to some super... If you're the one being asked to go on this meal, don't be mean and bring them to some... Like, okay, well, oh, let's go to some Michelin star restaurant, like $1,000 plate. That's, that's unloving and unkind. Just, you know, just go to like Lou's or something, you know, just somewhere that's affordable. But buy wisdom. If you're going to take them out for a meal, learn from them. Find people in your life that you want to learn from. Fools will not search for wisdom. So that hunger that you have to grow in your knowledge of God's word, to grow and to be a wise person, can be an indication of your own salvation. Because believers will always want to grow in maturity. 
Not all the words out of the people's mouth are necessarily wise. And the loudest is not always the right person. In fact, you need to learn from wise men and not from wise guys. Learn from people who are truly wise. In a world that chooses not to listen to other people, to not, get, to not receive criticism or correction, what makes the Christian different is that we are willing to. In the context of the church, the Lord has blessed us as a means of grace to have other people in our life to shepherd us, to, to, to pour into us, to give us insight into how to live in this world wisely. Foolishness and people in the world, they will not cherish wisdom, but that should not be the case for you and I as believers. Foolishness is not only popular, but foolishness is also destructive. Which is our second point. Foolishness is destructive. When you look at the world and Solomon tells you that, yes, foolishness is not popular, but not only that, but foolishness is destructive. Verse 18 of chapter 9. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sin destroys much good. Solomon again speaks very highly of wisdom here. He said this is better. Wisdom can protect you in ways that weapons cannot. And one reason that is is because wisdom can get you out of trouble so you don't have to get into a fight to begin with. Solomon is saying that there is a tremendous amount of wisdom that unfortunately can be overpowered by one fool. Although wisdom is stronger than weapons, in certain circumstances and situations, foolishness can overpower that wisdom. I have a friend uh, in college. Uh, she be eventually became a stunt double. So she was like the Black Widow stunt double for one of those uh, Universal Studio commercials. And if you watch that commercial, she, you see the character like jump over, like off a building, like off a cliff. And immediately, right when you see that character jump off, there's this little, little two-point font on the bottom that said, please do not try this at home. Why is that? Because there's some stupid person out there that thinks, hey, if I put on a suit like her, I could jump out a window and roll and be perfectly safe. Or, What's worse and what's humorous to me is like the car commercials. You know, the car commercials like it's really nice, a sleek car, and the driver's all happy, and everyone's happy, and there's no traffic for some reason. Everyone's just happy in a car commercial. But then they start describing the car, and they talk about how much it costs, they talk about the wheels, they talk about the headlights, and all the tech that's in it. And when they get to the safety portion, it's what's it's super funny to me, because they'll talk about how safe this car is, and then the car will do a drift and say, please do not try this at home. It's like, okay, if your car is so safe, I should be able to do that. It should be perfectly fine. It takes a tremendous amount of wisdom. And just imagine being the car, guy, the car engineer. You're building all these safety features, and there's just one fool that undoes all your work. The next model comes, oh, yeah, that car accident because the airbag didn't deploy because one guy decided to do this with their car. Foolishness can ruin everything. One fool can do a great amount of damage there could be an army of wise soldiers, and all it takes is one foolish soldier to mess everything up. Chapter 10, verse 1. Dead fly makes the perfumer's oil stink, so little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. Not only can one individual ruin you, but sometimes even foolish decisions can mess up everything as well. One small thing can ruin something incredibly massive. A person can have an entirely good and perfect perfume bottle and all it takes are these little little flies to just fly in and stink up the entire bottle something massive and valuable can be destroyed by one small thing just like how 
can little flies foul up any pleasant fragrance, so can a fool foul up everything in their life. In the Hebrew, this phrase, this phrase about uh, dead flies make a perfumer oil stink, is, is translated as, I mean, in, in this wooden form, it's makes stinks, makes bubble up, which makes no sense to us in, as English people. Or maybe better ways, like it causes stench, pours forth. The idea, that doesn't help either, but here's, here's a way to help you understand what is going on. If you leave a bottle of perfume open, and if it's, it smells good, it can actually make the whole room smell pleasant, kind of like what we would have, like a candle. But in the, back in that day, this little, old, this little perfume bottle, when it's open, it'll just make the whole room smell nice. And all it takes is just a few flies to just fly in there and just eventually stench up the entire room. In New Testament, we'll call it a little leaven leavens a whole dough. You know, there are many things in life that can be ruined by one foolish decision. Again, I'm not saying you can't even make any mistakes, but certain foolish mistakes have greater effects than others. Marriages are ruined because of one foolish affair. Finances are completely drained because of one foolish investment. Careers have ended because of one foolish scandal. Friendships are ruined because of one foolish word. Foolishness can undo a lot of good very quickly. And we understand this because in the beginning of the Bible, we see Adam. We remember him. He was with the Lord. He was with Eve. He was with all his little creature pets, and it was paradise. But yet, it was one foolish decision that brought the entire created orders into the dumps. How are we supposed to deal with this, knowing that there are so much foolishness going on in the world, and how destructive foolishness is? And the answer is, there's nothing you can really do. Sometimes the reason why bad things happen to you is because other people make foolish decisions in your life. And other decisions that you've made have caused you a tremendous amount of harm. And it's just how it is. Living in a fallen world, there is always going to be a vulnerability to wisdom, and that's called foolishness. It takes a lot of work to protect wisdom. But understand, at some point, foolishness can creep into your life and ruin everything. Foolishness is not only destructive and foolishness is not only uh, popular, but foolishness is also predictable. Our third point is this, foolishness is predictable. Chapter 10, verse 2, a wise man's heart directs him towards the right and the foolish man's heart directs him towards the left. I had to do a double take on this verse because I was like, oh man, I could totally imagine some Republican using this verse as a slogan on their t-shirt because, yeah, the wise person in the heart, won't they go to, they should go to the right. Only the left will go, or the foolish person will go towards the left. That is not the way that Solomon intended. There was no such things as the Democratic or Republican part. There were elephants and donkeys, but they were not politicians like that. They didn't think in these terms. And Solomon is saying that with this is that sometimes the wise person, if you look at them, there's a predictable nature where they'll go. The same thing with a foolish person. If a person is wise, you can almost predict where they're going to head. And if a person's foolish, you can almost anticipate where, what they will do next. 
Notice the word heart here, both for the fool and the wise. And the word heart here is, is this idea of a control center. It's what you do and it's who you really are. A foolish person is then foolish because it starts in their heart and it goes out into their life. And same thing with a wise person. A person chooses foolish things because they are a foolish person. A person chooses wise things that's because they are a wise person. You can predict where a wise person and where a foolish person will go. Foolishness and wisdom begins in their heart, where there's the central control center, before it manifests itself out in the world. The fool will do foolish things, and the wise will do wise things. Verse 3, even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. The fool makes himself known in public. Foolish people... And again, foolishness begins in the heart and eventually it lets itself out so that the whole world will know. A fool's life is obvious to everyone. And Solomon's saying that a fool should be easy to spot. And this fool, the fool will do something that is obviously foolish to everyone around him. And even it should be obvious to the fool himself. But he chooses not to do those things because he deliberately chooses to make foolish decisions in his life. And how is that possible? Because a fool acts foolishly because a fool is full of themselves. A fool acts foolishly because a fool is full of themselves. A fool can't think beyond themselves. They think everything that they are doing is right, that they can do no wrong, that they're not going to accept any correction. The book of Proverbs explains that a fool is someone that refuses correction. He's always angry. He doesn't have control over his tongue. He's a prideful person. And Solomon's saying that person, you can almost predict where they're going to go in their life. If you yourself, if you just look at Scripture, you parallel to your own life, if you see that you are living in a way that, that there's like a pattern, like every decision you've made, if you look back at your life, because hindsight is 20 it's filled with foolishness, then that's a problem. We need to be people that are self-aware and have some introspective and be humble about the decisions we make. How many of our decisions we made in, the, in our life would we consider as wise decisions? And how many of them are foolish? If you care about someone and you see this pattern, you need to warn them. And if someone's warning you about the pattern in your life, you need to be humble enough to repent. Foolishness is all around us, and sometimes you can predict the way that they live. Foolishness is not only popular, it's not only destructive, it's not only predictable, but our fourth point is this, foolishness is backwards. Foolishness is backwards. Chapter 10, verse 4, if a ruler... If ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position, because composure allays great offense. Now, it's really fascinating here that Solomon's just saying that foolishness can actually get into high places. You can fake it until you make it. And some leaders are there, they're foolish people, but somehow they are in position of power. And when they're in a position of power, what will inevitably happen is that they will surround themselves with other people to tickle their ego. They will find other fools to surround themselves with so that they can get what they want. But why does a foolish person, why would a foolish ruler do something like that? It's because fools are threatened by wisdom. Fools are threatened by wisdom. 
A foolish person will have other foolish people in his life because they don't want to be confronted. They don't want a descending voice. A wise person knows to have a diverse group of counselors to help them think through things objectively. A fool just wants to surround himself with people pleasers. A wise person understands the value of, of dialogue and having different opinions to, to sharpen them. But a fool just wants others to affirm them. And then before we leave, just think about yourself. Who are those in your life? Who are those that are influencing you? And how many of them are there that just all just happen to be agreeing with you? A fool can be found everywhere in this society, and it may not be easy to accept, but it's possible. But somehow, in this situation, there's this ruler, and he picks all these fools, and they still happen to choose you, who is aware of his foolishness. In some ways, you are in a unique position. And so I'm saying, look, if you have this foolish ruler who's always angry all the time, don't just leave them right away. Be wise and discerning. And he instructs the person here, the listener here, to, be, to, 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 to not abandon this ruler too quickly because they may have a unique contribution to him one day. Much like you see in the book of Esther, where Esther was placed providentially in that position for the deliverance of the Jews. She was there for such a time as this. And we think even Daniel and his friends, they were there, uniquely there, because God wanted to use them. And in the same way, that's how it is going to be for you. It is going to be incredibly frustrating when you work or you're under uh, leaders that are always angry and act foolishly all the time. But you should not abandon them so quickly because the Lord might open a door for you to go and convince them to think otherwise. They know, Solomon knows that a wise person knows how to handle himself around foolish people. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 14. The fury of a king is like a messenger of death, but a wise man will appease it. See, a wise person understands that they're in a unique position. They're going to leverage that for the betterment of other people. Don't overreact to those that are bad leaders. Again, you might find yourself in this situation. It is so easy in our society that's just so brittle to, to just overreact and just leave. We think that it's, we don't like this leader. We don't like this company. We don't like the person in charge. So we're just going to quit. And it's very easy to do that. And there's wisdom in staying and having a longevity so you can gain influence in the lives of those people who are over you. You can potentially have a great impact on a ruler. And Solomon's saying, be wise and do not immediately abandon this person. Verse 5, there is an evil I've seen under the sun, like an error which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set in many exalted places, while rich men sit in the humble places. So Solomon's just giving this little anecdote, anecdote here where there seems to be something that's backwards going on. The people that should be in positions of power are not. People that should be in control of things are not. People that should be influential, they are not. Solomon just tells them that this is just something that is going to happen. It seems and even feels improper, but that's just how it is sometimes. Fools are in many high places, and the error of the ruler. The error is that there's these ruling people that should not be ruling, that are ruling over people. And following the man makes this world essentially upside down. It is normal back then, when you think about, to have qualified people 
to run companies, to run a nation, or whatever. But for some reason, there are fools in those high places. And Solomon's saying, yes, it is abnormal to see, but it does happen here in a fallen world. Those that rule should rule, but they don't rule. That's why he, he makes this... Uh, he, he makes this illustration with this rich person who's just sitting in humble places. This means that he's just kind of put to the sideline. The guy that actually knows how finances work, he's the one that's not being taken advantage of. They, they, they remove him because they think, the fool thinks that they know what's best. It's amazing how many people critique people in high places having never been able to accomplish nearly as much as uh, people that are successful. For example, it's it's amusing to me now when I see students critique their teachers. Like, you don't even know how to write a proper sentence. How can you critique a teacher on how they should teach? Or even children critiquing their parents about how to parent. It's like, you don't even know how to use a microwave. How do you expect to run a family? A world that is filled with fools will have other people, will, will rule, unfortunately, and have other fools follow them. The person that you should listen to are often regulated to humble places. Notice the psalm continues with another illustration here in verse 7. I've seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. Now, this is, don't think in terms of our, you know, our American way of thinking of slaves. Back then, slaves, they, they, it was like a social class thing. And, he, and what Solomon is trying to get at is that there's this disorder that's going on, that the lower people in this lower class, meaning that people that don't have the ability or the knowledge or the wisdom to run a nation are the ones running the nation, whereas the king is just walking on the side of the road. The opposite is happening here. Solomon is saying that in a world that's filled with foolishness, there are going to be things that are just going to be inverted. Psalm saying that foolishness can move and navigate through every area of society and make the entire world upside down. A reversal of the way things should be. Common sense is not common in a, in a time of foolishness. In fact, foolishness is common in a time of foolishness. There is something off about this picture that he's trying to paint for us. It's not supposed to be this way. And the sad reality is that the fool shouldn't be exalted, but they are. Things don't always turn out that way, and that may be for some of you. You might be the competent employee, and then you look and you see the incompetent coworker that gets the promotion, that gets that project, that gets to lead in this particular decision. And you may wonder, well, why is that? Don't know. You just, over, you just got overlooked, and that's just the reality of life. Some of you might feel that way when you're applying to college. You might be thinking, I should be the one getting that's going to that school. Why would that classmate get it? And it seems so not, it's just, it seems like injustice just happened. And Solomon's saying, yeah, that is. That's, that, that's, that is what it is. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. It should not be a surprise, especially in our society that's run by full that everything is backwards. If you don't believe me, just think about all the issues going on in our modern day. The things that should be so obvious and the things that are obvious is, is, is ignored. When a nation, whenever an entire nation abandons the Lord, what you will see is an inversion of everything. The fallout is that everything becomes backwards. Right? 
women's rights. How can there be such a thing if people don't even know what a woman is? How can you? How can a society promote gender equality if they don't even know what a gender is, whether it's fact or not? How can a society that doesn't claim that there is a right and wrong go and say racism is wrong? How can people that tell others to trust the science when the science itself tells us what a biological male and female is supposed to be? Foolishness makes the world go backwards. Foolishness is is popular. It is destructive. It is predictable, and it is backwards. So, what are we supposed to do with this? How can we find a solution in a fallen world and where everything's just full, filled with fools? How can we deal with it or remedy foolishness? And give four application points. One, learn to take and give corrections well. Learn to take and give corrections well. It is good for you. To learn from your mistakes is is good for you to be corrected. Proverbs chapter ten, verse eight, it reads, "The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined." Proverbs chapter seventeen, verse ten, a rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. And he just Solomon wrote both of these, and he's just saying that. Sometimes a foolish person, you can just teach them over and over and over again, and they will not get it. And this is striking him, too. So you think that that will get their attention, but somehow it doesn't. But a wise person, when you correct them just once, they will get it. And that's how you remedy foolishness out of your life. You learn to take corrections well. Now, note to some of you that are parents, Proverbs 22, verse 15 says that, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from them. Yes, a child is both naive and foolish. They are naive in that they don't know a lot, and you need to inform them. But they're also foolish because they do dumb things, right? You understand that you have to explain to little children why you should not let you should not push your little brother into the oven and turn on. That's foolishness. That does not, that's not what's happening at home for us, but you understand that you have to teach your kids to not do foolish things because it's their natural inclination to make bad choices. And you as a parent, it is your responsibility to train them up so that they can, so you can, by God's grace, you can remove the foolishness that's just naturally in their own hearts. To learn to give and take corrections well. Second, choose companions well. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Be mindful of the people that you have in your life. I'm not saying that you cannot have non-Christians or non-believers in your life that are impactful and that you love, but the overwhelming influential people in your life must be believers because they are going to influence you in a way that's towards godliness. And for you single people, choose your spouse wisely. Look at his life, is this, or look at her life. Do they live in a way that, is, that can impact you in a positive way? And I don't mean in a superficial, I mean in a spiritual way. Does it, do you find yourself growing in Christ-likeness because of this person and their influence in your life? Choose even your close friends wisely, the people that you have in your circles. Who are the people that could pour into you 
that can help shape you and help you think through things biblically and wisely. Choose those that you want to learn from. Choose wise people so that you can become wise yourself. Discern with the scripture what makes a wise person and what makes a foolish, foolish person. You want to be influenced by those that are truly wise. Don't be influenced by influencers on social media. Those people are generally not that wise. Find people in your life that you can pour into you that can truly make you into the man and woman of God. Hang out with older saints. And again, when I say older, I mean people that have been in the faith longer, not necessarily in age, because they can point, to, they can point you to Scripture and they, go, they can point you to things in, in Scripture that can make you live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. So not only take and give correction well or choose companions well, but pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5 to 8 reads, But if any of you, lack, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask it without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the, is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is a unique command in the New Testament for us as believers that if you know that there's something that you don't know, if, there, if wisdom is what you are seeking, you can ask God and he will grant it to you. Now obviously the, there's a caveat is that when you ask, you ask in faith. You don't ask thinking, well maybe God won't give it to me. No, ask in faith and the Lord will grant those things to you because God wants you to grow. God wants you to be dependent on him so that you can be a wise individual that can faithfully honor him. And last and probably most importantly, how do you deal with foolishness? Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom from, again, wisdom from the Bible, it enables people to get things done. That is true. If you just listen, just reading scripture, if you just apply just the biblical principles, you can get a lot done. Wisdom can, you know, it requires you to know it and to live to live it out properly. And wisdom is something that you can acquire on a superficial level. But the Bible speaks more than that. The true wisdom only begins by the fear of the Lord. Because a person can know a lot about the world and even know how to work the world for their own advantage. But if they do not have the fear of the Lord, then they do not have wisdom. True wisdom begins from the fear of the Lord. Godly wisdom comes from a lifetime of thoughtfulness and introspection and contemplation while using God's words as a lens. And it all begins by fearing God. True wisdom first begins by fearing the Lord. And I think this is why when we think about how the world is just filled with foolishness and it frustrates us, that things like social justice is not going to fix it. Things like politics, things like more money for people or more education, that is not going to get the fool out of the person. Because the only thing that can truly remedy that is the fear of the Lord. And it is our responsibility as Christians to go and warn people of the wrath of God, to tell them about this God that is against us because of our sin. Because if they don't have that fear of the Lord, it doesn't matter how their life is going to be.
we need to understand it is our responsibility to go and tell people and tell them the fear of God, to fear the Lord, to have this, not only this reverential awe of Him, but a true terror because our God is a living God. He is the one true God, and He will judge us according to our sin. It is understanding what the gospel is that gives us true biblical wisdom. In a lot of ways, yes, folly is all over us. And the only cure, the only cure for foolishness is the fear of the Lord. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Lord God, we know that foolishness is all around us. And unfortunately, even in our fallen state, it's also within us. And I ask that you can be with the believers here, that in their fear of you, in their terror of who you are, that we learn to submit to your word. Lord, it is so easy for us to think little of you and not fear you. May you become bigger in our hearts and in our minds so that we can truly fear fear you so that we can become wise. Lord, help us, Lord. Help us be men and women who have a true fear of you so that we can live wisely in a world that is so desperate to learn and know about wisdom. But we know that the world is filled with fools because of their denial of you. Lord, give us the boldness out of a fear of you to compel other people to fear you, Lord. Give us this desire to love you more and to honor you and tell others about you, Lord. In your son's precious name, amen.